Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equity, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to thank our friends at City AM for all their support. In supporting Diversity Podcast, they have a dedicated page on their website. They publish and promote both our episodes and our supporting blog series so their readers can stay at the very top of the latest diversity and inclusion debate. Now, you may want to check out City AM's own podcast called The City View, and it has all the latest news and opinion from the city. And we at Diversity Podcast are great fans. So thank you to our friends at City AM. Now, today, I'm delighted to be joined by Eli Albrecht and George Bessely. Allow me to introduce them to you. Eli Albrecht is an M&A lawyer who joins us today from Washington, D.C., from the firm Gibson Dunn Crutcher LLP. He has a particular focus on private equity mergers and acquisitions and has advised companies on a range of private and public mergers, leveraged buyouts, joint ventures, venture capital investments and various other corporate matters. Now, he's very committed to the diversity and inclusion conversation. He particularly engages in the conversation regarding working parents and is involved in diversity groups both within his organisation and across the industry. And one particular area that matters greatly to him is the conversation about his experience as a Jewish man and also the industry's engagement with the religion as a whole, thinking about bias and particularly thinking about the importance of education. So Eli, wonderful you could join us. Great to have you on the show. Hi, Julia. I'm absolutely honored to be on and thank you for all that you do for the diversity and inclusion conversation, but particularly your exploration of how faith has played a role in diversity and inclusion. Well, I have so many questions. We'll get into much of that for sure as we go through it. Before we do that, welcome to George Bettany, who's the co-founder of a business called Sanctus. He co-founded it back in 2016 with his best friend and business partner, James Routledge. Now, after closing down their previous business, a business called Match Chat, he struggled with his mental well-being, And that has led George and James to set up the kind of brand that he wishes that he could have turned to when he needed it. Always deeply passionate about entrepreneurship, business and well-being as a whole, and Sanctus partners with businesses, supporting them to drive forward the mission of giving employees a safe space to work on their mental well-being and to thrive in the workplace. It sounds very timely, George. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Julia. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to the, the conversation today. And it's so important. And there's a lot in here about... You know, I, I think particularly about you know the, the practice of Shabbat, for example, the importance of rest. And we'll get into some of that discussion as we go through. But let me ask you both the question I ask all our guests when they join us on the show, which I'm dying to know, what are you focused on right now? And uh, George, can I come to you first of all? Sure. So, yeah, we're on a mission really and have been for the last five or six years to change the perception of mental health, change the way that we approach it, talk about it, and especially do that in the workplace, really making it a topic conversation that's more accessible. And then we have a team, we'll partner with the business to give employees access to Sanctus support, which is comes in the form of one-to-one and group coaching and other bits as well, workshops and content. So at the moment we, yeah, especially over the last couple of years with the pandemic um, and what's going on in the world at the moment, I think there's 
a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty, and a lot that people are going through on a human level. And yeah, for the last couple of years, especially, we've been supporting individuals, employees, people through that and businesses through that. And so at the moment, it's we're really focused on doing more of that. We, we're predominantly based in the UK and have been working with UK-based businesses, but we're growing at the moment and partnering with more diverse businesses, uh, different types of organizations and reaching people in different parts of this country and across Europe and the world. So yeah, it's a sort of challenging time for us as a business and team as we go through that. But it's also for me, this is why I started the company to reach people and support people. So it's also a, an exciting time for us as well as, as we grow. And certainly the, the whole conversation about well-being clearly is taking a much more dominant position, not only in the, the minds of employees, but the minds of leaders and also right the way up to board level in terms of culture and how are we doing? How are we doing as high performing teams and as organisations as well? Listen, I, I'm gonna, I've got so many questions to follow up with on that. But before I do that, Eli, a similar question to you, actually. I'm really interested to know what you're focused on right now. Right now today and every moment of the day i'm tenaciously focused on being an amazing husband and father and private equity lawyer that is my moment by moment focus i in my professional life represent mostly private equity funds that are buying other businesses or large companies buying other companies and merging them together i've done this for quite some time at gibson dunn which is one of the top law firms in the world working with many of the clients that are household names. It's a demanding profession. Many of the people in my field, many M&A lawyers are 100% dedicated to their craft and must be in order to play at this high level. I am deeply focused on staying engaged with my family while being successful at this challenging task. And I do that by engaging in my religious practices and allowing those faith practices to guide me and help me find a balance while achieving professional success. And just exploring that a little bit further, which is, and I know you've been very active on social media of sort of posting about the importance of family, faith, and also your profession as well. Expand a little, if you would, in terms of your thoughts about why this matters and also some of the engagement you've been having on social media as well. Absolutely. So I'm in a field that is not well known for its wellness and balance. I think that many of my colleagues and coworkers are really trying very hard to find a balance to move forward, to prevent burnout, but also to just achieve their greatest success. I started posting about this on LinkedIn, which is the only social media platform I'm a part of, a little while back, just as a way to vent my thoughts and critique the industry that sort of focuses on making sure that lawyers and M&A lawyers don't have an outside life, don't have a balance. And so I was trying to push back against that attitude that's been prevalent in the private equity community. And I found great success. I've connected with many others in the community that have been frustrated at the lack of balance and focused on achieving that balance. And maintaining a close family relationship and maintaining their faith. And on the faith question, I mean, uh, so I mentioned earlier that you observe Shabbat, very, very important to you as well. And I'd love to hear sort of why this is particularly important to you. And also some of your thoughts about how do you maintain that balance? Sure. So Shabbat has been one of the more challenging points in my life throughout my career. I should just a little bit of a background on Shabbat, it's been a, sort of a, a conflicted relationship with Shabbat, but I observe Shabbat, which means that 
for those unaware, Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown, observant Jews shut off all electronics. We shut off our phones, we shut off our computers, we don't drive, and we're restricted from a myriad of other work-like activities. The idea is to completely disengage from what we're producing throughout the week and focus on other aspects of ourselves. So what we do do affirmatively is we get together with family and friends without the pinging and the ringing of our phones. And we focus on self-growth. We contemplate the bigger questions of life and the world with our family and our kids. And most importantly, a practice that I've developed is we ask ourselves, have we upheld the ethical standards this past week that we would like to uphold? And how can we be better citizens this next week? And that moment of reflection, this 25 hours of reflection every week has brought me closer to spiritual fitness and advancing my mental well-being. So that's Shabbat for me. Jews do not have a monopoly on Shabbat. Everybody could observe Shabbat, and I encourage everyone, and my LinkedIn post encouraged everyone to find some Shabbat in their life, to observe a time where they're shutting down and affirmatively focusing on those things that help them achieve the balance. And George, while you're listening to Eli talk about that, obviously, I imagine as much of that which you advise your clients to think about. I mean, we talk about switching off, we talk about reflection time to think and time to contemplate as well. I'd love to, if I may, just explore a little bit further, you know, your journey. I've talked about you know, your previous business and, and sort of why Sanctus and also how you help other businesses. Let's get into that a bit more. Yeah, so much of what Eli's saying resonates with me. But actually, yeah, my upbringing, I guess, is different. I'm coming from the Midlands in the UK, in England, and my family upbringing, I think the conversation around, for me, spirituality, religion, mental health, these weren't conversations I had growing up and actually got into the world of university and then wanted to start something. I just had this entrepreneurial itch, I guess, to create something in the world. And through starting an app at uni, very young, I think I'd watched The Social Network, which a lot of young entrepreneurs did, and thought that was the key. You know, you start an app and that will lead to sort of happiness and success, and that's what you do. And we kind of did a version of that. We started an app, two computer science uh, students at uni, we raised some investment, we dropped out of uni, and before I knew it, we had a team and a logo on the wall and we're building something. But I think everything that Eli was saying there, we didn't have, on a business level, a strong purpose, a strong mission, a, str- a strong vision, a strong problem we were solving in the world. And then two, we didn't take any time to reflect, to pause, to stop, to process our feelings and emotion, to understand, build a level of self-awareness in ourselves. And that, after two or three years, caught up with us. We were trying to present a front in the world. I was trying to present what I thought the business world perceived as good, which was a version of myself, but not really me. And trying to keep that front up for three plus years eventually caught up with me and led to myself and James, my best friend, co-founder, struggling in different ways with our mental health. And it was the first time that we'd had conversations about that. And there weren't very many role models in the industry in the business world at that time that were speaking to the things you'll talk to Eli on social media and in the business world, all we heard were the stories of push, work harder, success is just the other side of that. And so that's what we did. And it caught up with us, as I said, and got to a place that I think many people do with their mental health. You have to talk about it because you're in such a difficult place. And we did. And Sanctus was founded from a blog post that James wrote that resonated with thousands of people. 
hundreds of emails came in, into us of people saying, please keep speaking about and sharing your journey and where you're at. I'm feeling similar. I'm going through something similar. It felt like a real sort of taboo. Well, it was a taboo subject at the time. And from there, this kind of mission within us to, I think one, therapeutically, we were getting a lot from it, but two, the feeling of helping others just became this burning thing inside us of we have, we have to keep talking about this. And it's funny, our, just to wrap up, the vision that we spoke to that, that really resonated with people was the analogy or the idea of a mental health gym, a place on the high street where you could go to work on yourself, your mental health as easily, as normally, as aspirationally, and as accessibly as your physical health. And it's interesting that vision and analogy has really worked for us over the years because I think it's helped people connect with mental health. But the more work I've done in this field, the more I've seen it as a religion, a faith, more of a church or synagogue or place of shared belonging, values, purpose, a place of reflection and a place to pause and build self-awareness. So yeah, so fascinating to hear some more of your story. because I think so much of it I've seen in the work that we do and then bringing that to businesses where that conversation is something that has been so new over the last four or five years i've really seen it evolve and we've helped businesses do that too and it's incredibly important to have the conversation to allow space to have the conversation you're absolutely right i mean in the world of entrepreneurialism again i'm an entrepreneur you know kind of it's just never discussed really increasingly so but also i mean i i burnt out at the age of 26 so I came into the industry straight into work. It was work hard, play hard, work hard, play hard. This is in the early 1990s. And yeah, I completely burned out. And there was never a conversation about mental health or stopping. There was never, that just wasn't an option in the mix of that. So it's wonderful. And I also love the fact that you bring in this gym analogy because as human beings, we so often pay more attention to our physical health more than we do our mental health. And of course, it needs as much care as our mental being as well. But let me just pick up on some of these points about... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it almost feels like the discomforts with the conversation. You can call it stigma. You could, in some cases, even go as far as to say discrimination. And we're watching the world of financial services change. We are watching the conversations open up. And I think the pandemic has been good for that in many ways. And also to bring in more conversation about the role of mental health and faith in diversity, equity and inclusion. George, I'd love to hear your thoughts about, you know, when it comes to addressing some of the stigmas that might exist how do you define what they are and then how do you address them and essentially move the dial i think the biggest stick is fear on an individual level and on a company-wide organizational level it's fear of opening something that you haven't faced or opened before on, on on an individual level for me that's what held me back from facing the things i knew were holding me back in life. It was a fear of where might that go? And I've never explored that before. And it's a brave step for anybody to step into that. It takes courage to admit and accept maybe where you're at and how you're feeling. And then on a business level, it's the same. You know, most workplaces, businesses haven't had this conversation before, hadn't had this conversation before. So in the, you know, most leaders, let's say CEOs minds, the business has been working perfectly well in most cases. And why do we need to have this conversation? It's, it's all good. So. I think there was definitely a fear, but then I think it for many individuals and businesses, it got to a, say a breaking point where, and I think that's the journey most people have with their mental health. There is a moment where you can't not face it anymore. You have to step into it. And I think for a lot of businesses that was coming out in one way or another, whether it's individuals leaving the business, employee engagement surveys, people stepping up and being brave and speaking out loud to their team or to their manager, moments of courage and bravery 
from individuals, I think have led to businesses not having a choice really. This is a conversation we have to face. And I don't think the other piece is vulnerability as well. I, it always takes a level of vulnerability when somebody steps into that. And I don't think no matter however much work we do on removing that stigma, vulnerability is difficult no matter how many times you practice it. And so I think it's recognizing that for individuals and for businesses that it is a difficult step to take. But a lot of businesses I've seen take that step forward and seeing the positive results of allowing people to bring more of themselves to the workplace. And there's still a long way to go on that stigma and on that piece. But I think we've made a lot of progress over the last, definitely since I've been in the industry for the last six years. And when we think about enlightened leadership, I talk a lot at various events and on platforms and stages about enlightened leadership. The courage, the bravery, the leaning into what's difficult are those attributes that leaders would naturally embody. It's the vulnerability piece that people are feeling less comfortable with, but it's proven, it's proven time and time again, that if you do embrace vulnerability in your leadership style, and then what that does in terms of your engagement with your employees and your team members and your peers and also your bosses, but then also the culture that that drives is incredibly powerful, but it does take courage. It really does take some courage. Now, I wonder, Eli, in the opening remarks, and I talked about your lived faith, and I also talked about the fact that a lot of what you're focused on in your diversity and inclusion conversations, particularly around the Jewish faith, there are two words I use very specifically. One was bias and one was education as well. I would love to if you would be happy to share is do you have some examples of where you faced discrimination bias lack of education and and how how has that revealed itself and what should businesses be paying attention to i i think that's an incredibly important question and george pointed out the aspects of fear and vulnerability but there's a real risk that by taking moments off and focusing on your mental health and on your balance you're viewed as less of a team player and you're viewed as less dedicated to the firm, less dedicated to your clients, when really it's the opposite that's true. And it makes you a better team player by focusing on your own balance and a more innovative coworker. But yes, in my career, there were many times that I faced bias or a lack of education. There were times where once I told the team members and the partners, uh, I would specify it at a prior firm, I was removed from the deal teams and just told, frankly, in no uncertain terms that if you observe Shabbat and if you go offline for 25 hours, you cannot be on fast moving deal. I've had mentors who told me that people cannot do M&A while observing Shabbat. And then there have been oh, countless snide remarks on Friday afternoon, remarks like, can't you make an exception this week? Or is it really that important? Or like, it's great. We all believe in God, but like, come on, you know, doesn't the deal come first? Don't you care about your team members? Those kind of comments. I do want to put this in the context of Jewish history in America, though, in case it sounds like I'm complaining too much. It was only in my grandfather's time that there were Jewish quotas in major law schools and Jews would not have been hired at any firm that's a peer firm of mine not so long ago. And Jews had to choose between their livelihood and observing Shabbat. And thankfully, the attitudes toward inclusion, thanks in large part to people like you and conversations like this, have advanced the point that I can speak openly about my Jewish observances without fear of overt discrimination. And this is not a luxury that my parents and grandparents and my predecessors have. 
and we live in a place and time that allows me to be an individual and accepted for my uniquenesses. And that's something we should celebrate. We should absolutely celebrate along with focusing on continuing to educate. Thank you both so much for sharing your personal stories and your personal realities and also your point of view on what this has actually meant in terms of how you've done business. It's so important because all our listeners around the world are people who turn up for work every day with their own points of view, their own personal faith, and also the fact that this is generational as well. Eli and George, thank you so much for that. I'm now going to welcome in Cynthia Akinsanya, who has some research to support today's discussion. Since 2019, burnout has been included in the International Classification of Diseases, published by the World Health Organization as an occupational phenomenon, although it is not classified as a medical condition. A study from Westfield Health cited that a fifth of finance professionals are struggling to get to grips with new ways of working and are in need of well-being support as the UK economy opens up. The report, Coping After Covid, also found that well-being enhanced productivity could add £61 billion to the economy by 2025 if UK companies can create effective well-being strategies and improve underperforming ones. Financial services workers were said to be the most likely to see their mental health negativity affected by the pandemic. Over half, 52%, said that their mental health had worsened. And thank you, Cynthia Akinsania, as always, for the research. And let's just take a moment to remind everybody how to find Diversity Podcast. And links to all our research can be found on the website. It's diversitypodcast.com. Like diversity, but with a C, not with an S, diversitypodcast.com. And that's where you can find all our episodes and sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Do also sign up for our newsletter, D-E-and-I, that's caught our eye. And that's where we share news stories and updates so you can stay on top of what's really current right now. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn and Diversity Podcast is available on Bright's Talk and all good podcast channels. And we'd love a rating because it does all help to promote the show so we can take it out to an even wider audience. So I can't help but think, you know, as we've been having this fantastic conversation, George and Eli, is when we think about benefits and best practices. So what does taking the rest, what is taking the time, how does that actually become put into and codified into best practice, if you like? Um, George, can I come to you first of all? Talk to us about best practice. Talk to us about boundaries. Yeah, I think we touched on it earlier around that fear of being judged if you take time in your week or your month to rest, recover, build a level of self-awareness, work through things rather than just the, the, the classic, typical hourly output version of work. Connecting it back to the gym analogy of physical health, and I'm a marathon runner and run a lot. And if you look at elite athletes, they don't perform at their peak for 12 months, for seven days a week, for, for, for 365 days a year. There's peaks and troughs to performance and recovery and rest is built in there's a sustained period of peak performance. And then there has to be a recovery and rest period to be able to do that again and to do that multiple times. It's just physical biology. And I think with our mental health and with our well-being and our performance at work, that has never been part of the conversation. It's just been about hourly output. And that is how a typical week is built. So we've been trying to educate businesses on how do you build a week where there is time in the diary and there's time in your working culture where there's space for your employees to do that. The way we've been helping businesses do that, we have a team of coaches and 
there'll be hours, there'll be days, moments in the week where employees can book in for a one-to-one 50-minute session with a coach that's a space completely dedicated for them. And then on an individual level, we're trying to encourage individuals to take that time for themselves, which to be honest is still a challenge to encourage people to do. It's so hardwired in people's minds that that's not how to work, that we're still learning that. And the way that we've seen that work in a best practice place, state in the workplace is leaders doing that for themselves and role modeling and giving people permission to take a percentage of their time or their week for themselves to help them improve, develop, work through things. And actually we're starting to see how that leads to less burnout, more engagement with the business, a happier workplace. And as a result, the business benefits. So we're definitely starting to see that with a lot of the businesses that we work with as well. Really fascinated by this whole role of having the coaches around because leaning into the reality of needing to rest and the role modeling and the leadership that you've talked about as well, but also having somebody who understands what your daily reality is like, but isn't family, isn't boss, isn't colleague, is incredibly interesting to observe, to bring that into an organization as well and give permission and space for it as well. Eli, can I ask you a similar question, which is when you talk to staff and when you talk out on social media and to colleagues and peers in the industry about the whole concept of disconnecting and taking time as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on you know, what advice, what best practice, how do you carve out rest? Absolutely. So disconnecting has a myriad of benefits, but because I work so hard during the week and like any type A person, me, my coworkers work extremely hard and are extremely motivated. It's easy for me to forget who I am and identify myself by the job that I do, and that my value is somehow the sum total of my professional successes. And I think I can only speak from the male perspective, but many of the men in my life have always identified themselves by their profession, and their value is tied to their professional successes. I think we've all met people who, when asked who they are, would answer a lawyer. I had a mentor in law school who was in the golden years, and he was an immensely successful lawyer. And he told me something that stuck with me. He said, if you have invested everything you have throughout your life in being a lawyer, when the time comes to move on, you'll find that you have nothing and you don't even have being a lawyer. And for me, that hit me really hard. And it wasn't just my mentor. It was many of my male role models who ascribed to that philosophy and their professional role took over their identity completely they suffered, their family suffered. And while I'm committed to being an amazing lawyer, being an amazing lawyer is not the sum total of who I am. I have value outside of my profession. And that shouldn't be something that we're embarrassed to say. And that all flows beautifully into the conversation about identity, which is an element that we talk about a lot on the podcast, which is belonging, identity, who we are. And actually, the words came out earlier about mission, purpose, and value as well. It's been a fantastic conversation. I'm going to ask you both to close us out with your final thoughts. It's a question I ask all our guests, actually, which is, you know, we are navigating really interesting times at the moment, both geopolitically and economically as well. And I worry that in this current business climate, that diversity, equity and inclusion could easily fall down the corporate agenda. I would love to hear your compelling reasons why it must remain high. George, can I come to you first? Yeah, when I think about diversity, I think of difference and the importance of difference. When I look at the greatest teams of all time from you know business teams in the business sense, but also sports teams, there's a whole 
range of different personalities and types of people that come together to get through something to compete. And I think during this time where it is so challenging, so uncertain, it needs such a level of, I guess, creativity. And that comes from challenge. It comes from difference. It comes from different minds and people working together through problem solving and through challenges. It's actually arguably more needed than ever right now. And when I look at the conversation around mental health in the workplace, because it was held back, people were bringing a fraction of themselves to their work. And as a result, the business only got a fraction of that person and what they could bring to the business and bring to solving problems and solving challenges. So for me, it's not a nice to have, it's a must face, must address, must have. And I think it will lead to the, I guess it is the difference and will help so many businesses work through challenges, especially at this time. Really important. Thank you very much for your thoughts on that. And Eli, same question to you, if you would, which is why must diversity, equity, inclusion remain high on the corporate agenda? It's a great, great question. And you drawing attention to what happens in difficult economic times is really the operative question. In difficult economic times and geopolitical times, we tend to lash out at each other and scapegoat those who are different. And we retreat into ourselves, into our communities, and we build walls. We may feel like retreating is the safer option. But in fact, we are much stronger when we reach out to others and connect with those who are different from us. We will overcome this economic and global uncertainty, and we will create stronger future relationships and retain our humanity and ideals if we do reach out and recognize all the uniquenesses of uh, those around us. Both incredibly important and incredibly inspiring. I have to say, it's been a fantastic conversation. We've covered not only an enormous amount in terms of what's been important to you in your personal journeys and also what's important in terms of creating best practice and leaning into the conversation about rest, mental health, who we are as human beings, faith comes through loudly and clearly as such an important element in life as well. Eli Albrecht, thank you for sharing all your thoughts. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Julia. It's been an absolute pleasure. And George Bettany, thank you for joining us and we wish you every success with Sanctum. Thanks so much, Julia. Thanks for having me. And as always, thank you to all our listeners. Tune in again soon. We'll have another cracking episode for you. I've been Julia Streets. Thanks for listening. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya for her insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com. And that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. It really helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.